continuing with our series, uh, Journeying Through the Old Testament. And we've been taking the last uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be taking three weeks altogether, looking at Israel, the Jewish people. There has been much abuse heaped on the Jewish people over the course of many centuries regarding the death of Jesus and the blame that's attributed to it. This belief, called the Jewish Decide, states that Israel, as a whole, is responsible for the death of God's Son. The anti-Semitic slur, Christ Killers, was used by mobs to incite violence on Jews during the pogroms, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, and the Holocaust. The key New Testament passage that many people used in order to uh, attribute this death to the Jews is Matthew 27, verses 24 through 25, in which the Jewish leaders had brought Jesus to Pilate uh, in order to stop the uprising that had been taking place and the mass following that began to follow uh, Jesus. And that says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. This is known as a blood curse. And many have used this statement by the Jewish people at that time as a cornerstone in their theology regarding how the Jews should be treated. And so today we're going to be looking at three key questions as we try to get our minds around this particular issue. The first question we're going to be looking at today is, what has been done to the Jews down through history based on this belief? One of the key changes that brought about a great shift in the mindset and the actions of Christians regarding the treatment of the Jews came in A.D. 167. In the city of Sardis, uh, which is located in modern-day Turkey, uh, there was a bishop. And many Jews had uh, transferred there after the Diaspora, which was the scattering of the Jews in uh, A.D. 66, uh, after the Judean Revolt. And then in A.D. 70, the uh, temple was destroyed. And so many Jews began to scatter uh, because of that persecution throughout the area. The bishop of Sardis, Melito, wrote and circulated a tract which att uh, attacked the Jews, and he was trying to bolster the Christians in the area. They were the insig insignificant number in the population, whereas the Jews were more dominant. And in this pamphlet, we see for the first time that the Jews are not only blamed for the killing of the Messiah, but the bishop blames them for killing God himself. Listen to this short excerpt. He who hung the earth in place is hanged. He who fixed the heavens has been fixed. He who fastened the universe has been fastened to a tree. The sovereign has been insulted. God has been murdered. The king of Israel has been put to death by an Israelite right hand. The blood curse killers God of God uh, argument became a very powerful tool in the hands of those who desired to promote Christianity in areas where Jews were dominating in power, politics, business, and the arts. Case in point was the Spanish Inquisition. From 1478 until its final abolition in 1834, the Spanish monarchy sought to establish Catholicism, and many Jews were forced con to convert upon threat of banishment, torture, 
and even execution. Even in Martin Luther's writings, we see signs of this doctrine, the encouragement of this practice of the oppression of the Jews. In order to save communities from the influence of the Jewish doctrine, Luther advised, and I quote, first, that their synagogues be burned down, and that all who are able to toss in sulfur and pitch do so. It would be good if someone could also throw in some hellfire. That would demonstrate to God our serious resolve and be evidence to all the world that it was in ignorance that we tolerated such houses, in which the Jews have reviled God, our dear Creator and Father, and His Son most shamefully up till now, but that we have not given them their due reward. This line of thinking continued on down in Germany and saw its culmination in the Holocaust, a time when 17 million Jews were persecuted, including the death of 6 million Jewish uh, Europeans. During World War I, many Jewish people had fled to Germany from Russia because of the systematic tyranny that had taken place there through the centuries. Germany was the most academically developed nation in Europe at the time, and they were f the first to uh, achieve universal literacy in the 20th century. The Jewish population was predominantly responsible for Germany's dominance among the European nations. They claimed 30% of the Nobel Prizes for Germany that they had attained in science and 50% of the Nobel Prizes that they had attained in medicine. But education alone was not enough to combat the deep-seated anti-Semitic practices that had been woven into the fabric of the European thought. As an example, consider Hitler's reasoning regarding what he called the Jewish problem. Former anti-Semites had succeeded in spreading the lie that Jews were subhuman and to be considered no more valuable than animals. Hitler took it a step further by declaring that they were likened unto a bacterial infection and that they would spread to the masses unless they were dealt with in a swift and decided manner. Hence rose his final solution. He came to this conclusion based on what was called the Christian Judensau, or the Jews' Sau. These were artistic renderings in cathedrals of Jews having obscene sexual contact with sows, with unclean animals. In Nazi Germany, children would go on field trips to go and look at these depictions in the different cathedrals. Psychiatrist uh, Carl Jung fed this notion further by declaring that the Jew is a relative nomad and has never created and presumably never will create a culture form of his own. For all his instincts and talent are dependent upon more or less civilized host people. How surprised he would be to see the nation of Israel today. We may think that as enlightened Americans, we are above this, that we could never fall prey to this kind of blatant prejudice regarding the Jewish people. But we must remember that the majority of the church in Germany was in full support of Hitler's plan. The clergy were hungry to give their demoralized congregations some kind of whipping boy to focus their frustrations on from World War I. The only way to fight against this propensity is with the truth of Scripture, and so now we turn to two pertinent questions in the Bible. The second question that we're looking at today is, did the Jews actually reject their Messiah? 
Many people have rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and each of every one of them has suffered greatly because of that rejection, both in this life and eternally. The nation of Israel is no exception to this. When Jesus arrived in the Judean village of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, everything in Israel's history had pointed to that arrival. Abraham's sacrifice uh, of his son and the replacement of that with the ram. The Passover lamb symbolizing God coming and sending his son to die for the sins of mankind. The giving of the law showing their need for mercy. The prophets foretelling the Messiah and how he would save the people. But except for a ragtag uh, bunch of followers, most of Israel did not accept Jesus' coming. Jesus laments this in Matthew 23, 37 upon his entry into Jerusalem right before his uh, execution. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. In John 1.11, the apostle states, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Not only did they not receive him, they actively rejected and plotted to get rid of him. The religious leaders of the day studied the scriptures, and they should have recognized when Jesus came, that he was their Messiah. But instead, in John 5.39, Jesus told them, You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. However, it's them that bear witness about me. They thought that he was doing his miracles by the power of the devil. They believed that he was a blasphemer and a usurper. But ultimately, the heart of the issue was that they were petrified about what would happen to their nation if the Romans found out what was going on. In John eleven forty eight, 48, they say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And so the short answer is, yes, they did reject their Messiah. And because of this rejection, they paid a heavy price. We see in Luke 19, 43 through 44, which shows the extent of that rejection and how it affected them. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within it. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. But now we must make one final and very important point by asking the question, who is actually at fault for the death of Jesus? At this point in the message, we begin to consider the grand plan of God the Father that was carefully set in motion before the world even came into existence. Revelation 13.8 states that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, Jesus, whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He was slain from the foundation of the world. The death of Jesus for the sins of mankind was the solution that was absolutely necessary for our redemption. And it had to take place in a certain space and a certain time, namely the outskirts of Jerusalem at 3 p.m. on Friday, April 3rd of 333 A.D. 
And in order for that to happen, those people that were alive at that time, the Jews and the Romans, had to carry out that execution. But does this mean that they are responsible for his death? To answer this question, we must differentiate between determination and cause. The determination or will driving all these factors that brought about the death of Christ are irrefutably attributed to God the Father. Consider the following scriptures. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Verse 4 of that same chapter says that he was smitten by God. And verse 6 says that the iniquity of mankind was laid on Jesus. The words of Jesus also reveal this truth in John 10, 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus could have called 12,000 angels to come and prevent the Jews from arresting him. In fact, Jesus, Jesus doesn't even allow his own followers to try to defend him. Peter goes and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus, and instead of congratulating him, Jesus actually heals the ear and tells him, Peter, stop. And so the question is, can someone be guilty of executing another person when that person has the power to prevent it from happening? Obviously, Jesus didn't think so because he's hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. In other words, nothing was going to stop the crucifixion from happening. Paul talks about the Jewish people in Romans 11.25. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so they were not able to see what was going on because of their hardened hearts, because they were blinded. Even his closest followers didn't understand what was going on, as we see in John 20, verse 9. It says, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. <laughs> He's telling them over and over again, but they can't see it because they are blinded. And so clearly, God does not hold the Jews or the Romans accountable for the death of his son. They have been forgiven because of their ignorance. Paul reaffirms this in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. It says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. And why did they not understand? Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he says, Would that even you had known on this day things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. God hid them from the eyes of those people in order that the plan might be fulfilled, the death of his son for us. And so we have established the determination for the death of Jesus, which makes the persecutions of the Jews 
and Christ's killers utterly ridiculous. But that's not the end of the story, because now we turn to the cause. Who is responsible? I am responsible. You are responsible. We are responsible for the death of the Son of God. The sin of mankind is the reason that Jesus had to die. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female, are all guilty of the death of Jesus. But never forget, it pleased the Father to do it. He was pleased to do it. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Think of all the energy that has been wasted in trying to pin the blame on the Jews for the death of Jesus that could have been used for spreading the gospel. As I wrap up today, as I researched this topic, I was amazed at the countless stories of Christians down through the ages who have risked their lives to protect the Jewish people, to protect them against the atrocities that were being enacted against them. People like Corrie Ten Boom, whose family hid many Jews during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. And the time may come, brothers and sisters, when you will need to risk your life to protect a descendant of Israel in your home. And don't think that it couldn't happen here. I leave you with a very powerful quote from German pastor Martin Niemöller. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Father God, I pray that you would help us to understand your plan that we don't make foolish decisions in our life against people. Father, help us to see our guilt and our responsibility. I thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.